Hi, my name is Robert McMahon. I'm the Connection Director here at Covenant Church, and I'm thrilled that you're listening. If you're checking us out for the first time, welcome. We're so glad that you're here, and I'd like to take this chance to invite you to let us know that you're tuning in today. We'd love nothing more than to help you start building meaningful relationships and to join you on the journey of faith. Just go to bgcovenant.org connect and let us know how we can be in touch. With that said, let's dive in and listen together to this week's message. Today, uh, we're going we're gonna to touch on dads a little bit today in our Lies of the Enemy series. We're continuing our Lies of the Enemy series, and uh, what we're going to talk about today is, is consumption. I don't have a—I mean, there's a lot of lies built into this, so I didn't want to create one. I just want to say there's a lie of consumption and satisfaction in our culture. Uh, so we're going to talk about parenting and, and dopamine and satisfaction and uh, fathers. You're going to get a little tongue lashing later. I warned you, so it's going to happen. Uh, not because you're not trying, but we can be better. We're going to do better. The lies of the enemy would say you're doing great. The lies of the enemy would say just go buy something, go have a lunch, go take a nap. And I think uh, what the lie I'm looking for was kind of best summed up. Maybe you've seen these in your neighborhood. They're, this one comes through my neighborhood. Stops at my house more often than I'd like to admit. The, the Amazon truck. Contents may cause happiness. That's the lie. The lie of the world appeals to our most selfish tendencies. That we are consumptive creatures. Like we were created with a need to consume. We were not created fully uh, formed in ourselves and, and without need. We need. We need food and we need oxygen. We need. We need. The problem is um, our modern society, we have more free time than ever. We probably claim to be busier than anyone else in history. We're culturally addicted to screens, which are just little devices of consumption if you really think about what you do on there. We're addicted to sports and gossip and shopping. We're actually addicted to leisure, which is not surprising because leisure is a product of wealth. And we are the wealthiest society in the history of the world. Whether you feel wealthy today or not, we are the wealthiest society in the history of humankind. And wealth allows for leisure. Go back a couple hundred years, pre-industrial revolution, go back to when everybody had a couple acres and your subsistence farming. There's not like, you don't take a break from harvesting to take a week at Disney, right? That's not, you don't, because you, you got to keep after, because you're, you're trying to get enough food to eat. Subsistence farming was the way we did everything up until really recently. And so we because of the world we live in, this modern age and white-collar jobs and information technology and all the different things, we are able to spend so much of our time on things other than just trying to stay alive. It doesn't mean it's wrong. It doesn't mean it's bad. It just means it's true. We have excess capacity, and so we fill it. We fill our excess capacity with all sorts of pursuits and all sorts of things looking to what? Well, we're, we have excess capacity, and we try to do what? We try to fill it. And that's the perfect metaphor for who we are. We have excess capacity in us, and so we are always trying to fill it with something. So our teens binge Stranger Things because Ma doesn't need her help milking the cows. Or they're watching Dude Perfect because Pa doesn't need to help fix the wagon wheel. Like the things that used to happen, we don't need those things anymore. It all just works. Alexa, fix the wagon wheel. It's done. <laughs> and so we just kind of consume more stuff. We live self-indulgent lives, only we're not really satisfied, like at all satisfied. The Amazon van does not contain happiness. And if you think about it, if you're honest with yourself, you would agree as we start that self-indulgence has never led to self-fulfillment. 
It just leads to more of ourselves by ourselves. A few stats from our modern age, just to make sure that uh, we're backing this up with numbers. One in three Americans is, quote, chronically lonely. Chronically lonely. Not just sort of lonely, not I wish I had more friends. Chronically lonely. The numbers on men, since it's Father's Day, men over the age of 30 who have real friends in their life who actually know what's going on in their day, the number of men with real friends is shockingly low. One in 12 Americans have a meaningful relationship with a neighbor, as in more than, good to see you, got that rain, yard looks nice. One in 12. The fastest, political, fastest growing political party in America, anybody know what it is? Unaffiliated. All the surveys, the fastest political party, fastest growing is unaffiliated, meaning like, ah, I'm good, I'm cool like I am. Fastest growing religion, unaffiliated. None. Maybe some. All? Doesn't matter. Just my own thing. Depression and mental health problems are rising, as you certainly know. Suicide rates are up 30% since 1999. Amongst teens, they are up 70%. Consumptive culture isn't working. The world is not satisfying us. Money is not supplying our needs. Career is not fulfilling our dreams. Leisure is not settling our souls. All of the things we're choosing to fill ourselves with aren't filling us up. Psalm 34. Let's read it together. Psalm 34 says, I sought the Lord. There it is. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me for all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. This poor man called and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his holy people. For those who fear him lack nothing. They're filled. The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Delivered from fear, protected from shame, saved from troubles, refuge from enemies. How? The psalmist says, how do we do this? We taste and see that the Lord is good. You go, that doesn't really totally, what? The way to satisfaction is, what does that mean? First Peter, Peter's going to tell us. The Apostle Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 2, it says, Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind, like newborn babies. You heard them. Happy Father's Day. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. What is it saying? When you taste what is truly nutritious, when you taste what is really delicious, you don't want to go back to the other stuff. You don't long for the lesser stuff anymore. When you have something, when someone gives you something that's really, really, say so some of you, some of you, this is the Midwest, you guys have some good macaroni and cheese recipes. I've seen, I've had, I've had a few. And if I said, here's the Easy Mac that gets microwaved with the powder and there's some sort of mysterious white substance in there to make it, who knows? And I say, or you can have the homemade four-hour nine cheese, bacon bits added. You can have one of those. You'd be like, yeah, I think I'm going to take the good one, actually, not the, like, processed frankenfood. But you don't know about that until you know about that. But once you've tasted and seen what is really good, you don't want to go back to the lesser thing. Consider baby food. Think about baby food. These are the same thing. I'm just going to let you look at it for a minute. Those are the same exact thing. What do you want? 
And if I said, hey, come over to my house, I'm going to be serving you chicken and sweet potatoes. I'd love to host you for dinner. And I put a jar of baby food in front of you, be a little offended. It's not what I signed up for. I've had better. This is not it. Scripture is saying, when you've tasted who the Lord really is, when you've tasted his goodness and grace, when you've really experienced God, it should create in you this sort of juxtaposition about the lesser things in the world. You should look at the other things of the world and go, that's cool, but not that interesting to me. That's fine, but it's not the good stuff. And sometimes you're in a hurry and you got to pop the Easy Mac into the microwave and it's fine. It'll get you through for about 20 minutes until you're hungry again. But that's not what you really need. And once you know that, it changes the way you interact with God. It changes the way you interact with your family. It changes the way you interact with the world. Once you have experienced him, everything changes. And yet we have to recognize the lie of our culture keeps telling us that you're going you're gonna to need more. You're going to like more. You're going to do more. You've got to have more. You've got to consume more. And the consumptive culture we live in is, is creating an addiction in us. We are creatures of addiction, and we are addicted to the dopamine that comes through this cycle. Robert Sapolsky, a Stanford professor of biology and neurology, uh, he, he kind of pioneered this idea that we, when we talk about dopamine, it's just this happy chemical, it's just the reward chemical that makes you feel good when you're doing something. We've always thought, we've always said, you get dopamine when, you, like, when you're shopping, for instance, and you buy the thing, getting the thing makes you happy. That's the, that's the little drip of chemical. And the research says that's not true at all. You actually get the highest reward while shopping. The spending is actually where it falls. Because then you get the credit card bill. Oh, I spent what? And I have this thing now, but uh. And so what do we do? We have to repeat the cycle because I want to chase that high I felt. And so I go shopping again because the shopping is the fun part. And what's interesting here, you'll notice the dotted line. You get a higher dose of dopamine. You have more happy chemical dripping from your brain into your body. You have more of it if the result is not assured. This is what sports gambling looks like. If you have a 100% chance of getting the reward at the end of, you know, I'm making dinner, I'm, it's wetting my appetite, I'm excited about it, and then I eat the dinner, that's the lower line. The upper line is I might win, I might not. This is exciting. I might find that pair of shoes I wanted, I might not. This is exciting. And our brains are hardwired this way. God wired you this way. Think about pre-industrial, think about our distant, distant ancestors who are out hunting and foraging and all these things. How would they need to be wired? To only feel joy when the kill is made or only feel joy at the harvest? No, you got to have that joy. You have to have that happiness. You have to have that chemical drip while you're hunting so that you'll keep hunting and eventually get the thing that sustains your family. And so in a modern way, this is how we've been hijacked because the world knows this. If you think that Amazon doesn't know this and Google doesn't know this and Apple doesn't, they know this. The, the, the whole trick is to get you into the cycle this is what DraftKings knows. This is what FanDuel knows. If I can just get them in, you can't replace the high. There's no limit to the bad decisions we make. Understanding this helps us think about our world differently. 
Online shopping, in case you were wondering, is doubly dangerous. Why? Because if it's anticipation that gives us that happiness, we first hunt and get anticipation while we scroll through looking for the perfect thing. We click buy, gets us to the bottom of the curve. But guess what? Because it's online, the curve starts over again because now we get to check the tracking. When is it going to get here? I think I saw the UPS truck drive by. Did it stop at our house? Did you see the Amazon van? I passed it two streets over. I think it's coming. And we're getting more and more and more. It's so exciting. Contents make us happiness. Dopamine in the anticipation of sex is interesting. It's all about the pursuit. Outside of marriage, the rush of pursuit is often followed by the guilt and shame that follows, right? Why? Because the rush in pursuit of all these things comes in the anticipation of them. It doesn't happen when the results of our efforts are finalized. And so how many teenagers do we have getting in a whole lot of trouble and messes and things they wish they weren't involved in because we don't understand that this is what it's about? Because we're chasing something that fills us, recognizing that the end result of the thing we're chasing will never fill us. It's a false positive. For people who like sports and you like watching sports, nothing wrong with sports, watch sports. It's different to watch the game when you look at this than it is to check the box score in the morning. Check the box score, you go, huh, they won. Hmm, They lost. How'd they win? How'd they lose? When you watch it, you feel something. There's an emotional thing happening. You feel the high and the swells, and you, that's because this is happening because they might win, they might not. If you just check the score in the morning, you go, hmm, cool. It's a short-term high, and it happens over and over. And if you apply this to every space in your life, you start to understand, one, you were wired this way for good things. When you're praying in anticipation of what God might do, That's a good thing. But when we allow this to hijack us for consumption, we find ourselves in big trouble. The psalmist mentions stillness and peace and satisfaction and rest. He says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Seek peace and pursue it. Fear the Lord and obey. The problem with with faith, with scripture, with spirituality, with God, with Jesus, the problem in our modern world is that that's, that's a lot further stretched out curve, isn't it? There's a roller coaster that we're currently on, or you go into the place of seeking God, seeking oneness with Jesus, of trying to find communion with your creator, and that, that cycle is stretched out really far. What's the reward? Oneness with the creator, eternity in his presence. Well, that feels so far away, so I'll just hijack that and I'll, I'll have these short-term highs. But I, I'm still looking forward to the other thing, but not really. We get frustrated with our efforts to create earth as it is in heaven. We get distracted by the flashing lights around us, and we are washed in free time and free space, and we revert to these kind of selfish tendencies. We chase these little hits of anticipation all over the place. We start believing that those momentary bursts are what really makes us happy. We get far enough away from what really makes us happy and far enough into a consumptive culture, and we sort of start to believe that that's where happiness is. Maybe I did feel pretty good. That TJ Maxx trip, the Amazon delivery, guess what? I did it. I'm still not happy. Same problems I had before I started. But the culture is not agreeing with me. The culture does not like me. The culture says, nope, that's not true. You just need to spend some more time on yourself. Just work on yourself. Show yourself some love. Then you'll be happy. Just spend on some me time. Treat yourself, right? And we don't know, but we've sort of started believing that. 
It's a toxic thread in our culture. We have allowed healthy self-care. Hear me say it. There is healthy self-care. Jesus went alone in the wilderness to pray. There's healthy self-care, but we've allowed that in our culture to tumble into unhealthy self-indulgence. I just need to work on myself. I just need space for myself. I just need to love myself. Spend more time learning to love me. I'm not suggesting that self-loathing is better. That's not it. But a massage or a facial or six hours on the golf course doesn't actually satisfy your soul. You're just unsatisfied with softer skin and a beer-soaked sunburn. And you go, huh, got the same problems I had yesterday. I'm not opposed to your self-care. I'm not opposed to your golf balls or your massages. I'm opposed to you buying the lie somewhere deep in your soul that any of those things are going to lead you to fulfillment or happiness. Because they won't. They won't satisfy your soul. So what wins? Where is delight? Where is blessing? Psalm 1, verse 1. Psalm 1, verse 1. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither whatever they do prospers. That sounds like everything we want. In that setup, what are we consuming? I mean, we're consuming living water, but really, if you read that a couple times, you realize it's consuming you. You've gotten so close to the source of life, to God, that it's almost like you've been consumed You've been brought in, and the other things, it's baby food again. You go, I don't, that's fine. Yeah, we'll go play golf, I'll hang out. Yeah, let's go shopping, that'd be fine. Yeah, let's watch the big game, no, whatever. But that stuff's not what, my, my heart's not in that stuff. My heart's in this stuff, the eternal stuff. But life is heavy, and we're forgetful. And especially parents, we got parents in the room. we got grandparents in the room who remember being parents and are kind of laughing at us right now a little bit. You are. Parenting can be exhausting. So what do we do? We just turn on Netflix. Just try to escape for a minute. Hand your kids a tablet. Say, it's, just, it's fine. Let YouTube and let the algorithm disciple the kid for a few minutes. It'll be fine. I've done it. Just trying to make it through the day. It's not a new phenomenon. It's not a new thing. It's, it's a, it's a long-held, old-fashioned sort of 80s kids. We got discipled by television. We didn't even know what was happening. My parents were just sitting, oh, whatever. I don't know. He seems busy. He seems fine. And 19 episodes of the A-Team later, I'm like, I need a mohawk and a van, you know? <laughs> it's not that different. Today's kids are just discipled by digital media, but it was the same idea. Generations of kids have not been planted by streams of living water, but have been planted by screens of endless content. This hits close to home for us, I know. I'm not trying to shame you. It's not too late. But we complain. Societally, we complain. Every generation complains about the one under it, that they're addicted to those screens. Sure do spend a lot of time in that phone. Who gave it to them? Who sets the rules? It's on us. It's bigger than technology. It's bigger than screens and shopping and dopamine. It's bigger than all that. 
We're so busy chasing the satisfaction of consumptive culture that we've abdicated our primary role on earth. Our mission statement sums it up, to know Jesus and make him known. We are called to make disciples. And we're chasing the wrong thing. We're chasing some sort of fulfillment internally when what God created us to do was to chase others and draw them to him. But we don't have time for that because we're so busy chasing the wrong thing. It especially applies to our own kids. I can quote almost every episode of Seinfeld. You tell me the scene, I'll give you the next line. I'm not proud of that. That's actually a confession. That's probably sinful. Because I can't quote the Psalms. Some of them. But I can quote Seinfeld or The Office. I can't quote the Psalms. In times of trouble, where will that leave me? Won't save me. Won't rescue me. It was a good escape for a minute. It's good to have on while I did the dishes that night. Doesn't mean those things are wrong to watch. It's not wrong to watch a television show. It means we have to recognize that every choice we make, we are trading one thing for another. We are parched. And we have nothing to offer ourselves, nothing to offer our children, because we don't contain the hope of heaven, because we are busy just soaking up the world. So we run out of ideas, and we hand them a screen. Or we hand them our addiction to sports. We go, got to get them off screens. I'll get them into sports. And then we pay the coach to instill some discipline. Maybe the coach can set them straight. So we spend countless hours, thousands of dollars, every waking moment on athletic development. And I'm on thin ice because we love sports. But all the athletic development we're putting into our kids, is it even nearly matched by spiritual development for our children? They're going to get to be 25. They're going to get to 35. They're going to be 45. And they've been discipled in the way of knowing how to kick a ball, swing a club, but not call on the Lord. We've outsourced discipleship because we bought the lie. And we don't even consciously buy the lie, but we've outsourced discipleship because we bought the lie. We're expecting kids to grow in gospel, humility, and Christ-like character through competition or consumption. We've become chauffeurs instead of leaders. I'm talking to parents. We wonder why our kids look at us like we're aliens when we try to express leadership in the home. It's because we've never expressed real leadership in the home. Men, this is especially true for you. So I'm going to speak to dads and dads-to-be. The Bible did not set you as the head of your home so that you might rule in power and glory. Being the leader of your home is not about a greater privilege. It is about a heavier burden. That's the blessing. Leadership as honored in the Bible. You can read your Bible. And if you have a different example, I want you to send it to me and show me. Leadership as honored in the Bible is always that of a servant. And the pinnacle of that is in Jesus. See, the Apostle Paul says, love your, li- your, love your wife like Jesus loved the church. Love your wife like Jesus loved the church. So when you say, I do, men, you exist to serve her. You exist to give up your life to encourage her towards the glory of God and the design of her image, and she was made in the image of the Creator. That becomes your number one job. You are to encourage her towards Christ's likeness. How? By serving her like Christ served you. What's that look like? That's death, bro. That's how that works. And it's beautiful when it works. The enemy whispers, but what about your needs? 
And you're like, you're in charge. Take a break. The enemy whispers, what about your needs? As I've said before, sort of tongue-in-cheek, but I sort of think it's true. Dead men have no needs. If you are to die to your own personal agenda so as to serve your family, dead men have no needs. You set the tone, you create the culture, and then I got a hunch that if you plant yourself by streams of living water, you're not going to have a bunch of needs. God's not going to let you waste away. If you give your life to others, but you're planted in him, God's going to take care of everything you need all along the way. But it takes courage to go that direction. You set the tone. You lead like a servant. And then you watch how God provides not just for you and all you need, but for your family and beyond. If you have kids in your home, me time comes sparingly. I would say me time maybe doesn't exist. If you have a man cave, there's nothing wrong with having a man cave. You may want to put it on Airbnb, though, because you got other things to do. Your hobbies, your pursuits, and your passions, all good things. But I got a new order for you. Your hobbies, your pursuits, and your passions should be your God, then your wife, and then your children. And whatever leftover time you have, you can pursue all the other things. This is what the scripture calls us to as men. Sounds harsh? gets worse. I actually found something, a kind of friend of the family, distant guy we've known, Steph's known him for years. Matt Chandler's a pastor in in Texas. And uh, he said it better than I could say it. I'm going to put this whole five-minute thing on, I'll put it on YouTube. No, Facebook. I just told you irony, right? I told you to stay off your screens. I'll put it on there. (laughs) You can get the whole five minutes, but I want to play one minute of this for you. This is for men, and I mean this. I'll tell you where I'm primarily provoked. I am primarily provoked in spirit, and don't get offended, ladies, by our men. Like, why are men going to bed these days with so much energy? That's not what God designed you for. God designed you to go to bed tired. Why are you going to bed so strong? We work hard at work for the glory of God. We pull into our driveway, we say a prayer, we go into the house, we love and serve mama. Because the Bible is put on our shoulders by the Holy Spirit of God that our wives would look like well-watered vines, that they would grow in their gifting, that they would feel cherished and loved. And we get on the floor and we play with our kids and we tuck them in bed and we pray and we lead out spiritually in our homes. And then when everybody's down, we sit with mama some more, check on her heart, pray, and then go to bed exhausted, wrung out for the kingdom of God. He said it better than I could say it. And some in the room are thinking, this sounds unsustainable, to be honest. That does not sound like a sustainable life cycle, where every day I'm wrung out, fall into bed exhausted. My best days, when I know I've been the most successful as, a, as a, a leader in my home, I go to bed, I read every night before bed, pick up my Kindle, open it up, and my best days, I get about a half a page in and it hits me in the face. And she'll, she'll tell you it happens, because she's like, oh, that looks like it hurt, I'm going to bed. Sounds unsustainable, recipe for disaster, that's just going to lead to burnout. You can only afford to be wrung out every day and giving yourself wholly to others 
if you're planted by streams of living water, if you are purely rooted in God, then you can afford to be wrung out because the source of your life is never going to be depleted. Until you've tasted and seen, until you've rejected the world's offer of satisfaction via consumption, until you log off Facebook or turn off Fox News or soak, soak in the gospel instead. Because in that you will have all the power, all the energy, all the grace to do what God has called you to do. But you'll never know it fully until you taste and see it. And so the message in this corner of this idea is, God, Dad, you're not exhausted enough. Maybe you're getting honored today and I ruined it. (laughs) Happy Father's Day. I would say soak it up today and then wake up tomorrow and go to work for God's glory and then fight for your family and then go to bed with nothing left to get all wrung out. And then you can even start a little calendar if you need to. It's only 364 days until your next day off. Let me wrap this up. The goal today was really to expose a lie. Self-seeking, consumptive life always falls short of what God intends. Always. Nothing wrong with recreation, with delicious meals or a glass of wine, with kids in sports or cheering on your favorite team. There is nothing wrong with those things. So if you leave and that's what you heard, that guy's insane. He says, I can't like sports. You weren't listening. Nothing wrong with the Amazon truck pulling up at your house. Nothing wrong with getting a new pair of shoes. What we need to realize is that the joy you were created for is not inside the truck or in your next drink or the next like you get on social media or the next episode of the show you think you like. It's not in the moment your team finally wins the title because they do and then the next day you go, how are we going to repeat? It's not when your kid achieves athletic glory that you never did, no matter how hard you push them for your vicarious glory. Fulfillment is not found in any avenue that the culture offers, but it comes when we seek refuge in God alone. And the lie of the enemy is that anything else will satisfy you. And only when we plant ourselves in his goodness and grace, when we plant ourselves in his word, only then do we begin to receive that wellspring of life that leads us to a life that we might actually serve others and fulfill his calling upon us. Only then do we find hope and joy and peace and grace and love beyond compare. You may have heard the phrase, seek ye first the kingdom of God. It's Matthew 6. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. I'm going to put it up in the message version because it's familiar and I want it to be unfamiliar. So we'll put up Matthew 6, 33. And the scripture says it like this. It says, people who don't know God and the way he works, they fuss over these things, these lesser things. They fuss over that. But you, you know both God and how he works. So steep your life, root your life, living water, Root your life in God reality and God initiative and God provisions. Don't worry about missing out the latest show or the latest trend. You'll find all your everyday human concerns will be met. When you root yourself in him, there's nothing for you in that truck. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray... uh, for your grace and your mercy as you convict us. Lord, that we wouldn't be uh, beaten down by high expectations, but Lord, we would be challenged and Father, you might even provide courage that we would take this on. Lord, that we wouldn't be conformed to the way of the world, but we would be 
changed into your likeness day by day. Renew in us a passion for your word, a passion for your presence. For those of us who've tasted and seen how good you are, Father, bring that back to us. That we might reject all the lesser things, that we might reject all the counterfeits, and instead seek you and nothing less. Father, give us the energy and the boldness to serve in the way you've called us to serve. For the men in this room, God, I pray that you would give them the boldness to be who you've called them to be. Strip away our excuses and our justifications. Find us wrung out for your glory. God, we love you. We thank you for Jesus, for his example, for the life you've called us to that is found in him. Pray these things in his name. Amen.